Blog Talk Radio. Like I said, this book was 
great. This is a really good book. I truly, truly recommend that you all pick this up and read this. I learned quite a bit from this book. So, you know, and last week I quoted something from Godless Americana as well. So, guys, um, with those three books, Moral Combat, Godless Americana, and This African American Atheist and Political Liberation, it will definitely take you to another level in your understanding um, of what's happening in this community and where we're going as a community. And, you know, a lot of this is old school information, and we just did not have access to this. You know, a lot of information that's coming out now we have access to because of the technology, the Internet, which is wonderful, which is why we're seeing an emergence of, you know, the secular community, you know, in its growing exponentially, actually, and to see people of color um, coming into the secular community, this is absolutely wonderful. You have Jay Saunders Redding. I just got into him this year, and he is an absolutely wonderful writer. If you guys get a chance to read him, I think I posted a couple of things by him, you know, about a month or two ago, but, you know, you want to check out his writing as well. And like I said, it's been phenomenal, you know, this three-part series. Um, you know, I would say listen to them in order, but you don't have to. Um, so there you go. Anyway, I want to talk about a little bit about a few things that have been happening in the news. I want to start out with some good news. Apparently, SSA, the Secular Student Alliance, has been invited to the interfaith planning on campus with the Obama administration. And that right there, you know, that is an accomplishment to be able to sit down and, you know, speak about interfaith, you know, uh, issues and services and community services. This is fantastic. So this is a segue, you know, inroad into um, policy, into, you know, having our voices heard. And, you know, the Obama administration is reaching out. So this is phenomenal. You know, they're reaching out to some of the younger people, which is fantastic, because I've always said that the younger people in this community need to have a voice. And that's why I'm glad to have, um, you know, a number of different people part of the Black Free Thinkers Radio Network. You know, we have some phenomenal people. Um, Vita did a show earlier this week, Vita on Blast with Vita Starr, and it was her, MLN, um, MC Brooks, Mr. Springer, I forget his first name, I apologize there, and Anthony Springer, there you go. And they had a great show. They talked about a variety of different topics. If you all get a chance to listen to that, please go back and do so. Alfred and Carl had a show Friday evening, and they talked about a variety of um, topics as well. And their show was called It's a Mad, Mad World. And it was a great show. They had, uh, you know, a caller call in and, you know, gave some wonderful insight. So if you all get a chance, go back and listen to that as well. Yesterday, Raina had her show, and she was talking about the documentary called Hidden Colors. And so basically she dissected it. Basically, I'll put it, you know, precept upon precept, if you will, and was debunking, you know, certain aspects to the documentary, you know, um, basically explaining the difference between melanin and melatonin um, and just, you know, debunking some of the myths, some of the misinformation that was put forth. 
in that particular documentary. So if you all get a chance to listen to it, you know, get out there and listen to it because I found out a few things that I didn't know. Now, I'll be the first one. I'll admit I have not watched Hidden Colors 1 or 2. And, you know, she informed me of some of it. I've seen a couple of clips, but I haven't sat through the whole movie. But I did not know, and this is something that they said in the movie, and, you know, Raina so eloquently, you know, uh, told us about it yesterday. I did not know that my melanin gave me the ability to levitate. So I'm doing something wrong because I got a whole lot of melanin. And I have not, you know, mastered the ability to levitate, so I've been deprived. I had to go and find a book to figure out how to do that. So there you go. And I also did not know that potato salad came from Nubia. Anyway, that's something me and Raina came up with. But, you know, it was interesting. It was a fun show. We had a lot of fun yesterday. So if you get a chance, please check out that archive. And, you know, again, there's a difference between melanin and melatonin. And some people do not know the difference between the two because it is not the same thing. But anyway, so that was some good news that I shared with you guys about the Secular Student Alliance and their invitation to be a part of discussions, interfaith discussions. Like I said, that is a wonderful opportunity, and I wish them the absolute best there. And another story about, you know, the secular community that, you know, made its rounds today and I had a chance to kind of browse through the article, but it hits upon a subject that I've spoken about in the past. Now we have atheists, or atheism, if you will, starting megachurches. And so the question now is, is atheism becoming a religion? And this is something that we've discussed on this show. I've done comparative analysis. I've talked to you guys, and I've told you why I have some concerns about this type of thing, because one of the first things that I've had theists, you know, accuse atheists of is atheists are trying to exploit people and get their hands on money. Now, you know, um, I'm not all atheists, and I don't know all atheists, and I have not spoken to all atheists. However, you know, I just found it interesting that, you know, Atheist churches are starting to pop up. Now, there's nothing wrong with meeting up because many of us meet up. You know, you have different groups across the country. I think there are about 15, 16 um, communities or groups of color across the country. You have them in Pennsylvania, New York, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, Houston, Dallas. Um, You know, I believe there's one in Sacramento and, you know, a bunch of other places. And, you know, so we're popping up, you know, all over the place. But, you know, they're meetups, and we're getting together and, you know, sharing our experiences, sharing information, and that is a wonderful thing. There is nothing wrong with, you know, meeting up with like-minded people for an exchange of ideas, information, personal stories, you know, some support, encouragement, motivation. You know, we're social beings. We're social people. So there is nothing wrong with that at all. But an atheist church, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it per se. However, my antennas are going up, if you will. And, you know, the whole thing um, is interesting. Um, They have crowd funds up, you know, trying to raise money to basically plant these churches, if you will, to use um, religious terminology. And, you know, I 
looked up some of the information, and they're planning churches all over the country, actually. But in the United States and Canada, they're trying to plant a church in New York City, one in um, Massachusetts at Harvard, another one in Washington, D.C., one in Chicago, one in San Diego, another in Los Angeles, one in Silicon Valley, and one in Vancouver, Canada. And, you know, they're asking, you know, for help to organize um, you know, these churches and, you know, apparently giving out tickets to these seminars or informationals that they're having. And they have 40 dates, 40 nights um, in different cities across, you know, the world, basically. So I just kind of wanted to bring that to your attention because, mm, I don't know, I have some reservations about that. You know, I have some reservations about it, but I'm not going to... You know, judge it now. I want to see what comes from it. But, you know, I want you guys to be aware of what's happening. And I posted that on my wall. So I posted it out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus. So it's all over the place there. Um, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to tell you guys about that. And, you know, we'll discuss that a little bit more in depth a little bit later on. Um, another subject that I wanted to bring up, a story that I saw this week, was the food stamps. How, you know, the House of Representatives of the United States, basically they approved a bill that, you know, cuts food stamps, cuts, you know, spending on food stamps by basically $40 billion over 10 years. And, you know, President Obama has threatened to veto that particular bill but, you know, what I don't understand, I believe, you know, our congressmen and women, our Congress people, that they receive a $200 per day per diem. So you get $200, you know, approximately $200 a day to eat. And the people on food stamps basically are given, you know, I believe it comes to about a little bit less than $5 a day. That's how much food stamps they're given. So you don't believe they deserve that $5, but you believe you deserve $200. How does that work? You know, I remember a story they did. They spend more money on coffee and pastries, you know, in one day than, you know, some of these people get in several months. So how is this, you know, fair? How is this possible? You know, again, you know, this is going to reduce the amount of benefits by $90 a month for over 850,000 households. And these are people that are already struggling. They're already struggling. And there are quite a few people that are not on food stamps that are eligible. And the interesting thing about it is, and I want people to understand this, um, when the state, you know, and there's Travis with me here. Hey, Travis, you know, but hey. one thing I want people to is when they cut these programs, whether it's food stamps or, um, you know, any type of aid, you know, financial aid in, you know, funding to certain programs. See, this is where a lot of people don't understand. The money comes from the federal government, but it's pushed down to the states. And when the state starts making those slashes, they get that money. It stays with the state, and then they can take those monies and distribute it any way that they want. And it's usually with their pet programs. And I need for you all to understand how this works. 
And this is where some of the inequalities and the disparities come in as far as when we start talking about the wealth gap and what's happening in communities of color and why certain communities aren't receiving, you know, the necessary services and monies that they need and deserve. And this is part of, you know, um, basically the strategy that the South had. Basically, they would not vote for the New Deal until, basically, they were given certain powers. And so that's why the federal government pushes it down to the state. And this way they have control, and they can administer the funds any way they like. So, you know, when some people of color would come in for certain, you know, services, like unemployment, that was one thing, and other, you know, um, programs available, they would be denied because the administrator had the right to arbitrarily apply those rules to whoever he wanted, he or she wanted. So, and this is still happening today, but I need you to understand that that money goes back into the coffers of the state, and then they distribute it as they see fit. So, again, this is why I feel that it's very important that we become politically engaged and understand what's happening out there because we... You know, we're in for some hard times if we continue to allow these things to happen, right? So, you know, it's just interesting there. Um, you know, Travis, are you there? Oh, okay. I am. I'm kind of here. Okay. I'm just unmuting myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, I just got, yeah. I got back from my trip. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, you bet Dave Chappelle and the Concord. It looked like you and Sarah had a really good time. We did. Uh, Dave Chappelle comes out of the flight of the Concord's dressing room, and he looks at me, and he goes, the Big Funny, that's a great name. <laughs> I was like, gotcha. I was like, gotcha. <laughs> so there but you I go. Excellent. I'm sure you did, and you all deserved a nice vacation, and you know, man, it's it's just interesting, and I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad Sarah, you know, had the opportunity to meet Dave Chappelle, one of her dreams. So, you know, it just seemed like that a wonderful time. That yeah. was her dream. She went up to Dave Chappelle and said, uh, "I just want you to not. I don't. I, I said, uh, I don't want this to sound crazy, but uh, you're the reason why I, I, I started doing stand up comedy." And he says, that ain't crazy, and he hugs her. It was really cool and genuine, just a, a genuinely nice cat, you know? There you go. There you go. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Exactly. Exactly. So at least we got some feel good in here, you know, um, you know, talking about this situation with, you know, the food programs being cut off. And then, you know, again, just want people to be aware of what's happening. And there's this a lot of travesties, you know, happening happening across this country. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring to people's attention, and this, you know, bothered me quite a bit, the young man by the name of Jonathan Farrell, he was in a car accident, and this was in a Charlotte-Mecklenburg area down there in North Carolina. And he was knocking on doors seeking help, but, you know, people were frightened because I believe it was 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. It was really early. And, you know, this one woman called the police because she, you know, thought he was trying to break in. The police came, and, you know, I guess he was walking towards the police, you know, because he was hurt. And one of the police officers shot him ten times and killed him. Ten times, Kim? Ten times. You know, right there, okay, so, like, when we sometimes will call out, you know, uh, a 
trigger happy or gun happy uh, officers. Mm-hmm. That right there is 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 the epitome of, of trigger happy. Now, is it that one dude's thing, or is it um, a, a larger thing of how they're trained? If they're trained exactly. to be, uh, you know, if a door opens, put your hand on your gun, get your gun ready. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. taught that any citizen could be a threat to your life at any second, of any day, of any time, of any, any, you know, uh, on any call, mm-hmm. then the citizens are not going to be safe around you because you've been feared exactly. up so much and taught so many different possible scenarios and, and shown, you know, video or pictures of, of scenarios where it went bad, you know what I mean? When protecting and serving goes wrong. <laughs> you know, they didn't show them that. Right. <laughs> Fearing them right. Yeah. Making them build a disdain for the citizenry, you know, the citizens. Exactly. And, and um, exactly. it's all too regular. And I think, Kim, when it's like this and it's so blatant, here's somebody who's just trying to get help after a car accident, right? He's a a football player, so maybe his body is strong enough to, you know, uh, to make it out of the car accident. Maybe a regular person or uh, or out of shape fella would have been dead in the car accident or couldn't have got out of the car. This guy survived the car accident, is trying to get help. And a cop shoots him ten times. Wait a minute. When did cops become shoot citizens first? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. How can you? How can you have a? How can you in your head have a justification for shooting someone when you have not communicated with them at all? That don't make no sense to me. I, I don't see how. If in your exactly. head, if in your mm-hmm. head you, if in your head you know you can shoot somebody without even communicating right. with them first at all, it shows right. that, the, that the system or your training or um, the village where you live in is so completely mm-hmm. full of half-thinking <laughs> haters that I don't want to be nowhere near there. Exactly. Exactly. And see, and this is the thing, you know, according to the reports, they said that, you know, the young man had his hands outstretched and they were empty. And this is according to the dashboard video. And it says um, he was not yelling at them. He was not threatening them. And one officer yelled, get on the ground, but they couldn't tell if it was right before or after the first shot was fired. Mm-hmm. And that well, officer, you know, they get on the ground him. second. Yeah, you know, and it's just, you know, um, and the young man that never had the opportunity to reply or comply, you know. Well, first and, of all, you know, who gets to mm-hmm. tell somebody to get on the ground? I, I'm saying who gets to tell somebody that you have, you don't have no communication with this person at all. He's coming towards right. you non-threateningly. Mm-hmm. And how I just don't get how you in your head can think, all right, Now's the time for these finger twitches that I can do where I can just fill somebody's body up with ten pieces of lead. Who gets to do that to anyone? Who gets to think that now's the time when I get to kill somebody? It takes a certain mentality to be an expectation. No, you're right. No, you're right. You're absolutely 100% correct. And, you know, basically the officer is being charged and – 
we'll see what comes about with that because, you know, I'm glad that this story came to the forefront and that we're seeing it. But this is happening way too much, you know, across this country. One young man, he was arrested. He was booked and arrested and taken to jail because he was walking on the wrong side of the street. And when they got to court, the officer said he was walking on the wrong side of the street. That's how he justified arresting a young man. So when they got before the judge, the officer could not support his case, and it was thrown out. But how is it, you know, you're walking down the street. I mean, I don't remember reading any rule book, you know, the rules of the road. You know, we all have to read that shit before we get our driver's license. I don't remember anything about you having to walk on a certain side of the street. Yeah. Do you remember that? I don't remember saying that no Well, way. but if you look at the in the asterisk section, I'm sure it what? says all uh, rules can get thrown out of the window if if you got too much brown skin. You know, they, they, they can make up some new rules for your ass, and <laughs> um, and they probably do. It's awful. It's awful. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just looking at you can shoot somebody ten times. It was just in a car accident. I, I don't yeah. see. I mean, are, are people trying to defend the guy's actions, or um, are they acting like well, he, he might have been justified doing that shit? I mean, right, you know. But I mean, you, you're going to have people, you know, because you know, especially with the advent of the internet, you know, people's inner racists have been able to be unleashed. And so, you know, you're going to have your trolls that says, "Good, another one bites the dust." But you're also going to have racists get loud. Okay, you know, you're right. I, I, I labeled them a while back, Jim. Hmm? They're the clickety-clack cowardly clan. The clickety-clack exactly. cowardly clan. Exactly. And they're out there, you know. And so you have, like I said, compassionate, understanding people out there that, you know, are saying what happened to him was wrong. And so that's why they have, you know, um, independent um, panels, you know, doing some investigation on this. And I wish, you know, that family will, you know, because it's, it's been a lot of craziness happening, you know. And, you know, this one story that I have to talk about because I posted it on my wall, you know, a couple of days ago, but I want to talk about it today. <laughs> All right. James and Sandra Baker sent their child to school. They had a field trip. And during that seventh grade field trip, they had an underground railroad reenactment activity. Okay. And these children were put in a dark room. They put them in a room, and they turned out all the lights and told them to imagine themselves being on the boat, leaving Africa, coming to America. So, you know, the great passage there, right? And so then mm-hmm. what they did is they took the children, you know, the black children, this one young lady in particular, because her parents are the one making the complaint, and they set her, put her in the middle of the woods and told her to run for her life and the other would basically find her way to freedom. And the other children, the white children, were, you know, running behind her, calling her the N-word. And, you know, the black children had to pretend to be picking cotton like real slaves and not make eye contact with the white masters and the white, you know, kids were telling them if they knew how to read, they already knew too much. And, you know, some of the children played the role of masters. The other ones played the role of bounty hunters. And and the parents didn't know anything about this activity. Okay. How does this work? How is this, this justifiable? Is someone in the Carolinas or Texas or something? 
Uh, let's see here. Where was this? This was at Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford Magnet Trinity College Academy. Wow, Connecticut even. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, I I I I, I don't see how it helps to make the black kids pretend to be slaves. Right. You know what I mean? Unless you're unless you're uh, teaching the white kids how to be psychopathic CEOs or something. I, I just right. don't. I don't understand why that's going to be helping, um, or you know what you're trying to teach in that situation. Um, yeah, it's not good. It's really not good. Uh, there are a lot of people who are are racially bitter. In a lot of different ways, you know what I mean. They thought that the um, that the being white thing was going to maybe turn out a little bit better for them, but but they're but they're broke too, and so uh, yeah. maybe in their head they feel as if they're, if they're meaner mean or something to people. I don't know. Maybe the teacher was trying to help. Maybe the teacher was trying to help letting the the white kids. I want you to I want you to feel how rotten your grandpappy was. <laughs> you, you know, maybe oh, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know what their uh, motivation is. Well I mean, but if that's the you know, case, why the didn't they do Nat Turner's rebellion? Why did they do what? Nat Turner. Why didn't they play the, do Nat Turner in the rebellion? Whereas the black kids they were could able do that. to do that, they could do Harry Tubman, you could do a whole lot of things. Um but uh I don't <laughs> see I, I, I don't I don't see how it's helping to have the white kids portray their their grandparents rather than and why, if you're going to do something maybe you flip it but uh and even then it would really have to be done with and under the uh and I don't even know if if a psychologist would be able to you know to, to, to figure out how you should do that you know what I mean I I, I don't exactly. Imagine that someone has figured out all the way how to put a particular um, activity like this on a class and have it turn out all the way good. You know what I mean? I think that people are still confused when exactly. trying to talk about any of that from the past. You know what I mean? Understanding what what it really was like. You know, you, we can imagine and you can see a movie where you're watching somebody get whipped, but but you don't really have a clue of the horror, you know what I mean, the regular uh-huh. everyday horror of wondering whether or not this is the day my my family or myself gets sold away from each other. And, and see, check it out. They have a movie out now called 12 Days of Slavery. 12 Days of Slavery. And they said people were walking out of that movie because the whipping well, scene. The 12 years and yeah, 12 years, I'm sorry, 12, well, I'm like 12 days, you know, that's all I can probably days. handle. Is that you? <laughs> fuck it, just kill me now. Don't fuck but, me, um, I could probably do it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but you know, yeah, and so you know this movie, and I haven't gone to see it, but I am thinking about going to see it because they say the brutality. Now, you know, I usually don't get into that, but I want to see this because people were walking out because it was just too realistic. But were these the same people that stayed there for the passion of Christ? Now, that movie was mm-hmm. brutal, too. You know, that movie was absolutely brutal. So, you know, it's, it's the whole thing, like I said, bad I idea. Bad idea. But, but see, check it out. Check it out. The school justified this trip by saying that 
Now you understand what it feels like to be bullied. That's what they told the black girl. Now you understand what it feels like to be bullied. Okay. So if the black girl had been bullying people and they made a conscious plan to let her see what it was like to be bullied and basically saying, uh, you don't know how lucky you are, nigga. Right, right, right. But see, no, but that's, that wasn't the plan. They, they, that wasn't yeah, the plan. They do that so, was she really a bully? No, no, no. They do that reenactment every year. And so when her parents filed a complaint and she complained to the teacher, that's what they said. They said, this is what it okay, feels like second, to be wait a, second, wait a second. They do this reenactment every year, and every year the, the niggas are the niggas? Basically. Well, then I don't see how that's helping shit. <laughs> okay, unless unless they can do it in a way to where those who might um, have a chance of having um, their ancestors' blood, you know, kick in and and boil up in you know in their veins, um, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? If uh, yeah, if that's the case, yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, it never should have happened. It never should have happened. And, you know, that little girl is traumatized. They transferred her to another school. I mean, if I was her parents, I would have done that. And see, they've lawyered up. I would have done that as well. And, you know, wishing that young lady the best. Her parents were on Melissa Harris Perry today. So I enjoyed seeing them on show. And, uh, but, yeah. So, I mean, I just wanted to bring that to you guys' attention again because, you know, even though I post this stuff on my wall, sometimes people miss it. So I just wanted to bring that up. And then what the last thing I'm going to bring up is 3,000 desecrated black graves were found and saved in South Philly. And basically this particular cemetery was the equivalent to Arlington National Cemetery, and they were about to dig it up for a sewer. So I'm not going to talk more about that, but I just wanted to bring that up. I posted it on my wall and Twitter. I'm going to put it in a chat room here so you guys can see that. But I just find this disturbing as well. Um, it's just it's unreal. So, you know, all of this is happening Kim? in the news. Yes, dear. Wednesday, I went to go see a, a documentary called Truth Be Told, and it was about the Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, I got to meet, you know, the, 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 the yes. Seattle and the uh, – the director of the film was there, <laughs> and uh, what I really noticed is um, I, I noticed a lot of similarities between, you know, that and any other, you know, Christianity version, and I, I'm beginning to see a pattern, and the pattern, Kim, is each particular religion is about as bad as the leader is, right? So if the leader is preaching the end times are coming and I know, man, those people are are in a world of hurt if they really believe that guy. If the leader is preaching, uh, watch out the devil's around every corner, man, that's rough. Those people are in a world of hurt. But I'm watching these Jehovah Witnesses, and they got some stuff going on in their thing, which was, if you don't go knock on all these doors, the family is going to disown you. Or uh Exactly. And it is it is this having a uh situation where there is a conditional love in situations where it should be uh unconditional love. You know, uh, having a tr- a child <clears throat> 
worried on the regular that their parents may pull their love from them. That watching this documentary, it feels like they all were a bunch of battered, battered, um, you know, uh, uh, abused people who were battered and beaten up physically, mentally, but more so mentally. If you are in uh, fear of your family disowning you at any time, if you don't happen to go knock on enough doors on a Tuesday, or uh, if you fall uh, susceptible to your natural human earthling hormones, Mm -hmm. then the family will uh, disown you and they'll never talk to you again. You talk about burning bed. You talk about, you know what I mean? It's it's ruthless. It's ruthless. mean. It's regular. At first I thought when I was watching Jehovah's Witness thing, it was really going to be like, well, come on over here. Stop celebrating Christmas and birthdays and bring us that money. <laughs> okay, I thought it would be like, right. you know. But it's way colder as far as the the constant threat of mm-hmm. losing your family's love. Yeah, excommunication. And, you know, the same thing, you know, within, you know, the black Christian community as well, you know, with these churches. You know, the pastor gets angry when you leave. And even those of us that are in a secular community, you know, we're shunned and ostracized, which is why many of us are still in the closet. You know, I'm I'm out. I, I don't really have a choice. But, um, <laughs> you know, for you know, your flag, um, Kim. Fly your flag. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's why many of them, you know, are not out. I mean, there are a lot of atheists and agnostic secular people that still attend church because some of these churches do offer services. Not all churches are bad. Some of them actually do follow through with, you know, um, some of the tenets of the Bible, if you will, in regards to helping people in need. But most of them do not. But, you know, you get ostracized, you get shunned, you get talked about. Um, people that once claimed to love you unconditionally, you know, that unconditional love, no longer, you know, claim that. Now they won't talk to you. They'll talk about you. And it's it's just, you know, it's, it's a mess. Something that we all that have been in church and left have had to deal with. We have Deborah on the line. I don't know if Raina wants to talk. Now, Raina, press one and let me know. Hey, Deborah. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Weather's cool, and I'm just chilling. Okay. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, but, yeah. you know, this is a great segue into, you know, the subject today. You know, we're going to talk about politics of the God concept. This is part three. So those of you who did not have the opportunity to listen to part one and or two, they're in the archives. Please go back and enjoy it. You know, the first show I defined, you know, humanists. And that's H-U-M-A-N-N-E-S-S. And I define subhuman, inferior, and how people are categorized. And it's important that you understand the terminology to kind of keep up with what we're talking about here. But I'm going to read two quotes. The first one is from James Foreman from his book, God is Dead. And it goes, it was a great load off my mind to say with conviction, God is a myth. Now, and I posted a book earlier today on my page, and it's called The Making of Black Revolutionaries, and I'm actually going to order that book because it looks like a really good book. The second quote I'm going to read is from Jay Saunders Redding from his book on being Negro in America, 
and it says, I would emphasize the relation of man to man rather than the relation of man to God. I would substitute the authority of Christ's insight for the authority of all ecclesiastical dogma. I would blazon across the earth, yet, look, I'm sorry, love you one another. So, you know, again, another author um, that, you know, I would advise everybody to go and take a look at and, um, you know, become familiar with. And I actually wanted to read um, a quote from, you know, the book here. And the name of the book, again, that, you know, I'm basically, you know, mirroring on the show is African American Atheist and Political Liberation. And this is from Michael Lackey. And, again, I can't tell you guys how much, you know, I enjoyed this book and why I think it's so important for us to actually get out here and, you know, support these authors because a lot of the information that we talk about in these groups and on our walls and in discussions with one another on these panels, you know, a lot of these books, you know, a lot of these authors have excellent, great insight, and we can actually learn a lot from them because many of us are still in our infancy, if you will, as far as understanding, you know, what's happened and, you know, what's happening around us and the significance of, you know, why certain people want to turn this country into a theocracy. So, you know, again, you know, absolutely fantastic book. And, you know, we'll see here. I'm looking for the part that I wanted to read to you guys because I thought it was very powerful. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. And I wanted to tell you about this. So basically, right here, you know, we're talking about the God concept. And it says, basically, the God concept is the primary political, legal, and psychological source of all our cultural woes. And this is the case because something intrinsic to theological thinking makes religious people incapable of self-critical reflection and unable to see unbelievers truly as people. But let me be clear what constitutes theological thinking. As Du Bois claimed, the church does not profess to be a group of ordinary human beings. It claims divine sanction. It professes to talk with God and to receive directly his commandments. It ministers and members do not apparently have to acquire truth by bitter experience and long intensive study. Truth is miraculously revealed to them, and they came from Du Bois' book, Color Line. And basically it says here, theological thinking holds that truth is a divinely sanctioned spiritual reality accessible only to God's holy elect, his chosen people. And I will skip down, and it says here, for believers, knowing God and his truths make a person a full-fledged human, while the lack of such knowledge means that a person has failed to actualize his or her highest humanity. On the basis of their knowledge of the one faith, the only truth, and the true God, believers can distinguish perverted versions of the faith from pure spirituality. Of course, believers will argue people can commit atrocities in the name of God, but those who do so are not true believers. Either they are hypocrites or they have a false understanding of the faith. That's the no true Scotsman fallacy. The true God or the true faith, their argument goes, would never sanction oppression or injustice. From this perspective, Christians can critique specific interpretations or interpreters of Christ's claim that he is the way and the truth and the life and his claim that 
the only way to the Father is through him, but they never critique Christ or true religion. In short, perverted interpretations of Christ could lead to oppression and injustice, but Christ's teaching could never be the source of injustice or oppression, so believers can never critically examine Christ or his teachings as the basis of the culture's unjust political system. That's deep. And, you know, uh, I just wanted to, you know, um, you know, share that with you guys because when I read that, you know, it just kind of confirmed some things that, you know, we've talked about in the past. And, you know, I just thought it was important that, you know, we, you know, share that and we understand, you know, what's happening, um, you know, out here and what's been written and to get a better understanding. And like I said, um, you know, it's, you know, this explains why we, you know, tend to depict religious folks as a, you know, kind of like a gang, if you will, um, you know, whose personal commitment to faith basically um, establishes the necessary sociocultural conditions for the political construction and subsequent violation of cultural designated inferiors. So, you know, get that from the book here, but, you know, that goes to show, you know, what we've been talking about, how, you know, with some religious people, um, how they try to call LGBTQ people animals, how they try to call those of us in a secular community animals and, you know, uh, you know, subhuman, and this is how they justify, and this is where the hierarchy begins and ends, and you know, as, you know, we need to get a better understanding, you know, what's happening because it is a lot of tribalism, you know, and unfortunately I'm starting to see some of that on the other side of the equation, even in this particular community. And, you know, we, we have to address it, you know, here in a book, and I'll quote it again, it says, for the Christian tribe to accentuate the apostate's sense of guilt, it suggests that rejection of the faith does not just alienate the unbeliever from his or her family and community. It actually could destroy the family and the community. Such a situation places the infidel in a position of the moral monster. Now, have you all been, have you experienced that? Because you refuse to acquiesce to their religious demands and, you know, that they tell you that you're a monster, that you know um, you have no morals. I've been I've been called amoral. I've been called you know a bunch of different names by religious people because I refuse to accept the doctrine, or I'll question it to a point that they become confused, and so yeah. that's how they shut the conversations down. They'll call you. Mhm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Isn't that what you're supposed to do, Kim? You're supposed to do mm-hmm. that. You're supposed to question it until they get confused, or That's right. if uh, if they can become confused, then they don't know it good enough. Exactly. I think right? it was uh, was it Jeremiah? That's right. It was one of them. Was he questioned stuff in the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's nothing wrong with questioning. That's their problem. They're, what what they get mad at? They can't answer your question. Exactly. That's what that is exactly. yeah. all about. You understand? It ain't about. <laughs> they can't answer your question, man. <laughs> that's what that's about. Exactly. And they get mad. You're right. okay. <laughs> they thought they were smart. They thought they had to figure it out. 
I'm believing this. I don't care what you say. Wait a minute. Why did you say that? <laughs> Why are you messing up me? Exactly, exactly. And we have a caller on the line. We have area code 615. Area code 615. May we ask who's calling? Hi, this is Judy. Hey, Judy. <laughs> hey. I just wanted to put my two cents in about the cognitive dissonance that goes on with some of these preachers. I think a lot of them actually believe what they're saying to be true with their whole hearts, and I believe most of them have good intentions with what they're doing with it. But there's also an element they have to turn people away and kind of shun and have these behaviors towards people who leave the church on one hand, because it's less income for them, but on another hand, they truly believe that if they don't come back, their souls are going to burn in hell and they'll have all kinds of sin put on them. But the church in and of itself has been really good for the black community. as It's been a launching place for civil rights movement. It's been a force in community when it comes to gathering people together for a certain good. And I think... Mm-hmm. That's the way with most most religions, black or white. But then you come to the power trip, you have to control your members. And then when uh-huh. you get the preachers who actually don't believe and they're using the Bible just to manipulate people, I think they give right. other churches a bad name. Right. But how, right, many right. Are, I mean, but how many really are doing it good? I mean, I, I can't believe that some are doing it good and some are doing it bad when they're using the same tools, right? So if you're telling somebody that uh, if you're teaching the doctrine of conditional love rather than unconditional love, you, you're you setting up your flock to, um, to be to hostage. Discriminate. To discriminate. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's just setting them up to be bigoted and racist and hide behind those ideologies, if you will, with the Bible. And, you know, again, you know, I'm just talking about some of the social outreach, some of the, you know, uh, social justice that some churches, you know, and it's very, it's, it's, it, as time has gone on, it has dwindled because, you know, when the prosperity gospel showed up, it turned into greed. It turned into a big old Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme, if you will. And the person at the top is the only one making money, whereas everybody else is trying to climb to the top of that pyramid, if you will. But, you know, there has been some good that came that has come out of the church. Um, you know, I agree with that. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I railed against, you know, black Christians being called Uncle Toms, if you will. But not everything that has come out of the church has been good. It's been a lot of evil that has come out of the church. There's a lot of evil that has come out of Christianity. I'll read this one part here from the book, and it says, predicated on love and justice, the missionary's Christian vision could only be considered righteous, so it could, so it should come as no surprise that millions of pounds and dollars went into the conversion of the heathens to Christianity and the education of the natives. 
it was this surface doctrine of love and justice which Christianity supposedly incarnates that led everyday Europeans to believe that the triumph of Europe in Africa was to the glory of God and the untrammeled power of the only people on earth who deserved to rule. And yet it was exactly this kind of thinking that created the necessary sociocultural conditions for exterminating Congo brutes to rephrase Joseph Conrad Kurtz, or to lead so many Africans to display, like Chinawa Unkonkwo, and things fall apart. Indeed, as Adam Hochschild notes in his excellent study of Leopold II, the Belgian king considered his Catholic missionaries to be as valuable as his soldiers. Leopold subsidized the Catholics lavishly and sometimes used this financial power to deploy priests almost as if they were soldiers to areas where he wanted to strengthen his influence. For Leopold, Christianity was the best weapon he had at his disposal, not just to garner support from fellow Europeans for his pet projects in Africa, but also to justify his brutal treatment of Africans. As Leopold says in his famous letter from the king of the Belgians, the Africans' primitive nature will not resist indefinitely the pressing appeals of Christian culture, and when the faith finally triumphs, Belgium will have introduced into the vast region of the Congo all the blessing of Christian civilization. And so basically, you know, right here is saying um, that there is unwitting complicity to the European domination, exploitation of Africa and Africans. And the reason why I brought that up is because here in America, we're dealing with some of the same issues with, you know, the church and the stronghold that the church has on communities of color. This is why you see so much apathy. So I'll give you an example. Here in Chicago, you know, last weekend, there well, not last weekend, it was one day this week, actually, we had 12 people shot and killed, and a couple of others were wounded. And it was all at the same time in one place on a basketball court. And I didn't see any outrage for Chicago. You know, what happened in Newtown, what happened in, you know, at the Naval Yard and all these other places, there were press conferences, there were people getting out, talking about it, protesting news stories but nothing about what's happening here in Chicago. And, you know, there were a couple of preachers that held their own press conference saying that, you know, they wanted Chicago to get the same type of, you know, press and have the same type of outrage. But one of the reasons why you don't have the same type of outrage is because, you know, in communities of color, they've been taught to be apathetic. And mainly they'll say, well, God will take care of it. God will supply. That's and we have to come out of that thinking. We have to come out of that thinking. We it's, it's destroying the community. It's destroying the community. You have people that say voting doesn't matter, um, and that's why they don't vote. That's why they're not involved politically on a local level and, you know, not involved in the community. And it's just, you know, the whole thing is just, we have to do something. It has to get better. And it goes back to, you know, what I stated earlier when I quoted about the God concept being the primary political, legal, and psychological source of all of our cultural woes. That can also and be seen in other cultures 
not just in the U.S., but wherever there were white conquerors to take over the nation for the sake of the people there. The Philippines and Mexico are two prime examples. They're still devout Catholics to the certain degree that some of them will take the Easter ceremony quite literally and literally nail themselves to the cross as an act of faith. It seems no matter where there was the conquering element, you'll have such a blind devotion to it, and they think they're in the right, they're doing the right thing, no matter how much it harms them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And many of them actually really do think that they're doing the right thing. And even when you point out, and that's interesting because it was a news um, story that I posted earlier this week, and it was talking about, you know, the brain. And basically it was talking about how even if you, some people, if you present them with the facts, no matter how solid, how strong the evidence is that you present them as facts, they will hold strong to whatever it is that they believe in. And that's some of what we've been experiencing, um, you know, in this community, you know, talking to and dealing with, you know, people that are religious. And that's why I just think it's important that we step up as a secular community because, one thing I will say is that most people are followers. And if we step up to lead, if you will, and I'm not talking about people need leaders per se, but to step out there and start going back into the community and start caring about one another and start helping one another, I believe that the community will follow suit. But that's just me and my thinking, you know, but you know, I, I feel that that could be true. Uh-huh. Kim, isn't it, though, that in order for uh, things to get better, you have to at least agree, uh, come to the conclusion together that it ain't supposed to be like this, whatever. You know what I mean? However it is. And if, mm-hmm. and if instead of thinking it ain't supposed to be like this, people are thinking, oh, well, this is just how it is, then you're stuck. And I think that could be what you got in Chicago. You know, it's been like that so long, people don't know. Different. They don't know. It's a whole generation. It's a whole generation exactly. of people that mm-hmm. uh, never knew, um, never knew a time when there wasn't gangs and, and, and mass. You know what I mean? They they don't yeah. they don't know anything different. Exactly. Yeah. This, this function has become so commonplace; it is now deemed normal. And you know, and and now it's so commonplace that people think that shooting one another. Is normal. People think that, you know, in some cases, you know, there was a link, you know, a study that showed a link between violence and liquor stores and the proximity of liquor stores to communities. You know, saying, you know, someone passed out every day, you know, drunk. You know, some people think that's normal. I mean, that is normal for some people, but other people not so much. But, you know, just some of the dysfunctional behaviors, you know, especially the violence. And a lot of people think that it's normal, and it's not. And, you know, um, it's just it's interesting. I'll read this one part, you know, from the book here. And it's just talking about the narratives, how the narratives have changed, you know, over the years. And basically it says, this link between the micro-communal faith act and the macro-cultural political situation that compels African-American atheists 
to reject the God concept and to be so critical of the religious mentality instead of recognizing that they will achieve personal and communal agency only when they become creators and definers of knowledge, laws, and the political believers, according to American I'm sorry, according to African atheists, African-American atheists accept their culture's truth as God-created truth. Such a situation places believers in a passive position with regard to their political situation because the Faith Act authorizes and legitimizes the existence of a pre-given truth. Believers assume a passive position with regard to knowledge, not realizing that those truths man himself has wrought as reading claims. And basically, um, we have to get back out into the community and start redefining these things. We have to go back out and rewrite the narratives. We have to go back out and, you know, again, show a different face. That's why I think it's, you know, extremely important because, I mean, even right here it's talking about the passive position that many believers take. You know, we cannot afford to sit by and remain passive and about those in a secular community. We cannot afford to continue to sit back and remain passive. This is why many of us are advocating social justice, advocating, you know, starting these smaller, you know, community groups, um, building up this community, but actually getting out and, and, you know, walking the walk not just sitting here and pontificating as to what's wrong with the community and what's wrong with the church. We have to go out here and we have to be the solution at this point. Because otherwise, Sometimes you know, we're gonna... so. wouldn't you have to kind of put someone in kind of a neutral position to even let them hear you? Because if you go in there, you know, they know you're an atheist, the walls automatically go up. But if you were to present to them the same situation neutral of any religious content, like put them in an imaginary world the way things should be. You know, in Africa, for instance, how people are more into the community, more watching each other's back in certain areas, and then bringing it like this is how it should be, not like how it is now. You gotta remove all the every element that they're used to in everyday life, and then present to them something. Well, this happens someplace else. Exactly. Well, and, and, and you know, I've always said I don't believe in proselytizing either way. Proselytizing for religion or proselytizing against religion. Ideologies have absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to do in the community. So I, I agree with you there. You know, um, when we go into the community doesn't have anything to do with whether a person believes in God or not, because if we're extending help, people are going to take that help, whether we believe or not. You know, someone who's hungry is not going to turn down a bag of groceries. Somebody who, like, were just cut off or their, you know, heat was cut off and it's about to go into wintertime, if we come in and say we have this program through the federal government and we can help you get pay toward the deposit and get your lights and gas cut back off, they don't care if you worship Satan. They don't care. That's your business. You know, and it's not our job to proselytize one way or the other. But that's just, you know, me and how I feel about that situation. So, yes, there has to be a certain neutrality there. Um, And, no, we do not need to proselytize. We just need to engage, engage and implement. And that's, you know, where I am right now, Um, you know, regarding the God concept. I mean, you know, that falls even on, 
you know, our side of the equation as well. You know, it's not our job to go over there and to antagonize people. You know, it's not our job to go over there and be aggressive towards, you know, believers. You know, it, that's that's not our job. We don't like it when they do it to us. You know, and at the end of the day, it's about the community. You know, that was one of the reasons why, you know, the church became as strong as it had become, you know, because of the solidarity, because of the support, because of the comfort, because, you know, the helping of one another, that village mentality, if you will. But it has changed over the years, and part of that goes back to when you had that, you know, people were saying, well, you can't judge. You're not supposed to judge people. So people were doing anything and everything, you know, with impunity. And now we're seeing the after effects of quite a bit of that, and, you know, now we're having to deal with it. So, I mean, you know, basically that goes back to, you know, where do we go from here? You know? So I just think that it's important that, you know, we understand what's happening and, you know, realize what's going on and getting out here and helping people out and, you know, being a part of the community. And, you know, again, like I said, this book, it's phenomenal, guys. You know, I've learned quite a bit um, from this book. And basically, you know, right here, um, you know, it's talking about theology's chosen people. And it says, in other words, theology's chosen people mentality converts the non-chosen into invisible men and women. And they're referring to Ralph Ellison's book, The Invisible Man, which was banned. Anyway, that's another story. Inferior beings who must be ruled and governed, and that's referring to France Fanon and Richard Wright, and who must always be defined instead of definers, and that goes back to Toni Morrison. It says, it is this distinction between the spiritual, that which truly exists, and the non-spiritual, you know, that which does not exist in a strict sense of the word, that has made so many in the West incapable of recognizing that their abuse, neglect, and oppression of culturally designated inferiors have been crimes against humanity. This is the case because the non-chosen are only temporal and spatial beings subject to the laws of decay and death, while chosen people are atemporal and aspatial beings in contact with God's universal and eternal laws of being. And that's going back to Nella Larson and Langston Hughes. And it says here, in the 20th century, the emergence of a totalitarian political leader like Hitler, who used the God concept to violate and dehumanize seemingly chosen people, the God concept has been effectively exposed as an arbitrary idea, a semiotic vacuity that really has only one major political purpose, to perpetuate the wicked idea of human inferiority. And for atheists, um, basically... It says, you know, the best thing that we can do is expose the dangerous sociocultural dynamics of an empty concept like God. So it says atheism makes possible personal and political freedom. And for African-American atheists, the objective of this particular narrative is to make a comprehensive experience of personal and political liberation a reality. Do you think that it's possible that we can have that type of impact on the community? I think it's going to take time. I can't hear you, Deborah. I was just saying I think it's going to take time. Right. 
Yes, definitely. It's going to take, you know, you know, some time to, you know, put that in place, some time to understand it, because, you know, how can we put something in place that we truly don't fully understand? And that's why, like I said, I think it's extremely important that, you know, we get out here and we become part of the community and not, you know, be afraid of being who and what we are and, um, you know, just showing that, you can be good without God. It's very much so possible, you know, that you can be good with God. And, you know, um, you know, it's just up to us because no one else is going to do it. And if you look at what's been happening again, you know, it says Einstein, you know, said the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. And that's what's been happening in many of these communities, and particularly communities of color. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, continue to sit there and allow this to happen? And we can't. We can't. We can't allow this to continue on because we're the ones that are being hurt. Your children will be the ones that, you know, will be hurt behind all of this. And so... It's just as important. There are a lot of babies out there now that are being hurt, you know, out there hungry, that are being abused. You know, what could we have done to possibly, you know, help some of these situations? But it's not just us. We also have to understand the political notions behind all of this as well, which is why I was talking about political liberation. You have to understand what's happening with these public policies and why it's so important and beneficial, financially beneficial as well, to some of these people to continue to see certain sectors of society living in poverty and being oppressed. Someone is profiting from it. We oh, always man. say follow the money. Oh, yeah, follow the money. And, you know, that's the whole thing. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how, you know, as far as I'm concerned, many of these religious leaders are thieves. You know, they have their churches in basically socioeconomically disadvantaged areas, and not only do they have their church building there, many of them own quite a bit of real estate. So they're not paying any taxes. And in these same neighborhoods, you know, the schools are dilapidated, you know, uh, you know, the streets are torn up, um, the food deserts, you know, and and these people they're making money hand over, you know, just a lot of money, and they're not bringing businesses back into the communities for the most part. Some are, but when they do bring businesses back to the community, many of the people that work there are usually friends and family and, you know, overpriced because there are no other stores, you know, in the area, so you don't really have too many choices. And, you know, again, you know, it is going towards, you know, their pet projects. And, you know, I listen sometimes to religious folks, and I've had these conversations on many occasions, and they'll say, oh, you're just jealous because our pastor is blessed and highly favored. You know, they love that phrase. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, You know, and, and what gets me is some of these people act as though the pastor's wealth is their wealth. And, again, this is going back to much of the month that is smoking mirrors because that pastor lives in a house that's owned by the church. They're not paying taxes on that house. Additionally, the church pays their utility bills. The church pays for the pool boy to clean up the pool. The church pays for the 
you know, the cars. The church pays for the jet. And the church pays for, you know, everything. You know, one church that I was involved with, that I was attending, you know, the pastor wanted to open a bank. And then it switched from a bank to a credit union, but he was appealing to the members of the church to give so that they would have the seed money so that he could open up this credit union. And he initially he was promising a 20% um, return on investment, right? And I believe someone told him that that was illegal to make those types of promises, you know, but um, that's when they scrapped it from the bank to the credit union. And then when he made the second appeal for the credit union, he didn't say a 20% return on investment, but the minimum investment was $1,000. Now, mind you, this church had well over 15,000 members. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money And so, you know, I want you guys to understand And have a better insight as to how these churches work You know, and how the church has changed And I'm going to read a part here from the book And it says, you know, it's talking about the different writers It's talking about Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright, Jay Saunders, Redding And it says, to understand what led these writers To certain conclusions, if you will uh, We must first make a crucial distinction between 18th and 19th versus 20th century approaches to the God concept. As has been well documented, white American Christians subjugated and violated non-whites, Christian or not, with tenacious regularity for centuries. But for pre-20th century African American Christians, this brutal treatment, while heinous, did not lead many to renounce the faith. The reason... They had internalized an intellectual framework that enabled them to distinguish the true faith, which would never sanction violence, abuse, and or injustice from the erring practitioners of the faith whose reprehensible behavior was considered out of step with the true faith. Now, basically it's talking about, you know, comparing, you know, initial Christianity in the 18th and 19th century and the 20th century, and basically you know, how religion was used to justify, you know, slavery, um, justify oppressing, you know, different people. And it didn't matter if those people, again, you know, the slaves were, you know, converted to Christianity. Many were told if they converted to Christianity, they would be, you know, freed. And talking about, you know, how the 20th century African-American Christians, how they kind of, Framed it a little differently in their minds They took a different understanding of it But I don't believe they took it far enough Because basically You know what's happening um, With You know a lot of You know these churches Is I feel that people had to frame it In such a way that they would not Go nuts if you will that they would not lose, you know, what little bit of sanity that they had. They had to find a reason to justify and intellectualize, you know, why this particular religion would allow this to happen to them. And that's, you know, still what's happening now, you know, with religion. Um, You know, talking about Frederick Douglass when he's talking about and he's condemning the slaveholding religion of the United States, boldly claiming that Christianity, especially in the South, is a mere covering for the most horrid crimes, a justifier of the most appalling barbarity, a sanctifier of the most hateful frauds, and a dark shelter under which the darkest, foulest, 
grossest and most infernal deeds of slaveholders find the strongest protection. And it says, at this point, Douglas is not just suggesting that Southern Christians were coincidentally vicious slaveholders. He actually notes that there is a causal link between Christianity and the most horrid crimes for once his master, you know, Captain Auld, experienced a religious conversion. He became more cruel and hateful in all his ways. And as Douglas notes, prior to his conversion, he relied upon his own depravity to shield and sustain him in his savage barbarity. But after his conversion, he found religious sanction and support for his slaveholding cruelty. Now, you know, that kind of goes back to something we talked about, you know, about how some people hide behind religion, and especially nowadays, you know, when you see the religious people, because, I mean, you've seen these coalitions of pastors condemning the LGBTQ community. You saw what happened with Proposition 8 in California and how the Mormon church, you know, and, you know, basically financed, you know, the op, you know, you know what was happening there. And, you know, the black community was scapegoated, and we've talked about that. But, again, it goes back to a lot of people hide behind religion, to justify their bigotry, their racism, you know, um, their demagoguery, what have you. And this is what needs to be addressed. This is something that we need to understand, and it needs to be brought to the forefront. And, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we read books like this and to get, you know, a basic understanding of what's been happening. And, you know, they understood that then. I'm not sure what has happened since then, and, Part of it is, you know, a lot of us are not teaching these children. We're not teaching, you know, our children what happened in the past and, you know, why it has an impact on us today. And, again, part of that, you know, goes back again to that theological, you know, God concept. God will take care of them. You know, a lot of people have, you know, basically um, relegated themselves into believing that when, you know, people die, they will go to heaven or hell, and then they will pay. Unfortunately, many of the people that they feel should pay for their misdeeds or misgivings, if you will, many of them don't believe in God. And, you know, you start to see many of that, even in some of these churches, if these particular Christian leaders really truly believed in God, how can they commit some of the crimes and atrocities that they do? If you have a pastor or a minister or a priest or, you know, rabbi or whomever that's a pedophile and that continuously, you know, hurt children mm-hmm. and you forgive them every time, mm-hmm. how do you justify that? You can't. You can't, and it makes me wonder if those people believe in God. This is why many of us, you know, say that, you know, we believe that religion, there are a lot of con men, that, you know, it's a scam amongst a lot of people. And this why is why is you see some church. Go ahead, honey. I was just wondering, why is not considered, I've never, I've never seen a, a religion called a conspiracy. Well, in essence, to a certain degree, it is. Because I believe with some of, you know, what's happening now, you know, I, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so, you know, I want to make sure Me that either, I put but, that you know, I mean, it would fall right in it. I'm, I'm not either, but 
but you know when you when you look at some of that conspiracy, to me, religion would fall mm-hmm. right in there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, and you're right. I mean, you know, I feel that. Go ahead, Travis. Cult conspiracy. I mean, what's the difference? I mean, mm-hmm. there's you know a, a religion and a cult. To me, is a length of time and uh, and and numbers in your flock, right? So exactly. when you say conspiracy, sure. Uh, let me ask this question. Do you think that all the deacons believe as hard as the flock, the rest of the flock, or are no. they or are they in on it too and they get to yeah, fill their pockets exactly. up a little bit as well? Now, I, exactly. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say some of them are just playing mm-hmm. on sheep and they just go mm-hmm. by, you know, it's been in, it's been here for so long. You know, and, right. and some of them are just plain long ignorant and will follow because of who th- that person is, okay? Uh-huh. But, yeah, majority, and they think they're doing right because they follow, but a lot of them, yes. They know that they, they if they were scared of God, do you think they would uh-huh. be doing the, the doo-doo that they're doing? No, exactly. no, they wouldn't. They would not be doing the shit they're doing. That would be one. Oh, exactly. But you're right. right. If if they really believe, they wouldn't do that stuff. But they and if there really if there really was something to believe in, if there was something to really believe in, then I can't believe that whatever it would is would let them do what they do in its name. I can't believe that for a second. That if there was something exactly. all powerful, that it would allow them to do the things they do in his name. And that shows either, you know, the, um, I don't know, what's, what's the word when you when you just, when you got no power over it, uh, that you are inept, not, a, not, not inept, but um, uh, forget it. Incapacitated? I, I right now. Yeah, I'm okay. just saying, either you can help or you can't help. And to sit around exactly. asking, asking for some God to help after the fact every time is so corny. And ridiculous. Exactly. It seems like a waste of time. Uh, what's really interesting is to think that everybody that gets shot and killed, little children, that God sent them home. That that's oh, that was that, part of a plan. Sick. Yeah. Exactly. If that was the case, exactly. why why are you putting them in jail? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, and I agree with you guys. You know, conspiracy. You know, cult. It's pretty much kind of the same thing, but it's that same type of, it's like this. You know, I, I look at it as circular logic, circular reasoning there. You know, if something bad happens, or it was God's will, or either you didn't have enough faith. Um, you know, it talks about, and we've all heard this before, um, if somebody, you know, was a member of a church and they left, and something happened to that person, then they'll basically, some of the people in the church say, well, God allowed that to happen to you because it wasn't meant for you to leave that church. And it's usually the pastor saying that who's mad because one of his, you know, faithful tithes and offering givers has left the church. But then you also hear this from other believers, you know, talking to one another because, you know, they believe in things like generational curses and, you know, all of this. But let's say, you know, a member of the church, you know, not that they left, they're still a member of that church. And let's say this person... Um, you know, you know, acquired some type of illness. So let's say, you know, they, let's just say they caught the flu. 
And you'll hear people, different people in a church, you know, especially if they don't like the person, they'll say, well, because you did A, B, C, and D, God allowed you to get the flu, which in turn, you know, made you stay off work and you lost money, and then eventually you were fired because, you know, you don't get rid of the flu in a day or two. usually takes about a week, and and the way that they justify it and the cruelty in which, you know, they treat one another, and, you know, it's, again, like I said, circular logic because it's like God in the Bible, the religion, it always has an out. It's always blaming the victim, you know, victim blaming. And it always goes back to the individual that's usually being hurt. Um, it was a story, you know, out this week, and I didn't even post it. I was just absolutely disgusted. And it was talking about um, a young woman, a young lady. I think the little girl was like seven or eight and, you know, one of the youth ministers, you know, raped her and killed her and sat there and watched Damn. her die. And basically he said that, you know, it was God's will and that the girl basically seduced him. And, you know, then he started giving references to, you know, scripture saying, you know, this is what happened in the Bible with the women, you know, seducing the men and talking about how women were evil and you know, so, again, you know, this is the type of stuff that, you know, that has to be addressed. This is the type of stuff that we have to debunk, you know. And people, you know, not only do, you know, the perpetrator blame the victims, it's gotten so good that they have the victims blaming themselves. You know, there have been women that have been violated by some of these, you know, predators, and men too, women and men, that have been violated by some of these church predators, sexual predators. And instead of, you know, blaming the predator, they'll blame themselves. I was somewhere I yep. shouldn't have been. Yep. Or, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, or you know, it was my fault. And then they don't want to press charges, and that leaves them open to violate someone else or leave her open to violate because women are sexual predators too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you know, is we have to stop it. We have to stop that mindset because, again, you know, these are people that are hurting themselves. They're hurting themselves. And, you know, that goes back to, you know, something that I've talked about in the past, you know, with people making decisions, bad decisions based on misinformation, based on bad information. And it's important that, you know, we address that and we start pointing that out for you philosophers. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And, you know, guys. Shouldn't we we really begin to pay attention that whenever someone starts that blaming, whenever someone's being a blamer, you got to call them out on it right away. And if somebody can get you to blame yourself, for something you didn't mm-hmm. do, and you believe it, man, that person is dangerous. We got to look at them like like they're a super criminal. They're yeah. a super criminal that is, um, I don't know, the the the, the weight they're they're placing of uh, of mental anguish on the community. It, it can't be ignored. It can't be just kind of walked away from. It has to be called out. And like I was saying earlier, if you don't know, it's supposed to be better. Then how are you gonna make it better? Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, is that they've been trained. You know, these people have been trained um, to accept certain things because, you know, let's let's take for instance, you know, some of the issues we've seen in the community with 
against sexual predators. I'm kind of stuck on that for right now. And you'll see, you know, someone go out there and they'll violate some child. If you sit down, in many cases, you'll find out that they were violated as a child as well, but nothing ever came of it because their mama and big mama, grandmama, whoever, said, well, you know, we're not going to talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that. You know, we're just going to pray and let God deal with it. We'll be okay. And some of these things are for the ones that shunned, you know, any type of therapy. You don't go to the man and tell them about your business. What happened at home stays at home. You know, or a pastor didn't really mean it. Or what did you do to make pastor hurt you like that? And you go back, you know, like Red Hook Summer, you know, with that movie that we talked about a few months ago, you know, um, that's in archives as well, and about how one particular pastor that was, you know, a pedophile that was run out of his southern town, he went up to New York City, and with Harlem, somewhere in New York, and basically he was, you know, perpetuating the same type of behavior. They showed a very violent rape scene. What has happened is, you know, in some cases, this has happened time after time after time, and because it became commonplace, if you will, and no one said anything, and they, you know, swept it under the rug. I'm sure you all have heard that phrase before. You know, a lot of these people started thinking that this was normal and, you know, God will forgive me, you know, and they go out and perpetrate that on other people thinking that they're supposed to receive the same type of treatment. And it happens over and over and over, mm-hmm. and we have to address it. Um, um, in the Bible, um, do you know you know what a eunuch is, right? Say that again. A eunuch. Yes. Mhm. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's that's instead of saying gay or whatever, right? Mhm. Right. Okay. I, I haven't finished reading, but I think I know. I'm not finished doing research, but I think I know why they hate hate gays and everything so bad. Back, I, I was reading, and back in the day, they were used to protect the women from from um, you know regular men, straight men, right? Because the mm-hmm. men couldn't control themselves, they'll go and rape the women. You know, like your 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 you know the concubines and their uh, wives and stuff. That kings had, so mm-hmm. they was used to protect, because the point is that you know they didn't have uh, uh, they didn't have n- n- no sexual desire toward a woman, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know what would happen to the straight men? They get castrated. So you know right. they hate think you know I haven't finished. <laughs> I haven't finished, but I guess mm-hmm. you. <laughs> I guess you would hate gays. <laughs> well, see, so you're saying that the gays... let, me, let, me, let me clarify something real quick. Let me clarify. All right, so okay. there are, you know, two definitions of eunuch, you know, and one is the religious definition and one is, you know, the Webster's definition. All right. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, because I'm going to explain this because someone questioned it. And basically, um, in some religious circles, you know, especially, you know, the spiritual and some of the Pentecostal and AME, you know, circles, they refer to some gay men as eunuchs. 
That's how they refer to them. So this is where she's coming from with that. She's, you know, looking at it from the religious you know, standpoint, because in some circles, they do refer to gay men as, as you know, um, eunuchs. But, yes, eunuchs could still have sex. That is correct. So go ahead, Deborah. Uh, you know, but it, it, it says, it also, it, it's one place where Jesus talked about, he's talking about marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it says that, you know, well, I don't have it, but it's, it's saying there's three three ways. Either you come here born like that out of your mother, or either, you know, you get like that because somebody done did it to you, or either it's for religious purposes, okay? So they had a role even in, you know, as far as being a eunuch. I have, I have, that's, that's the part I got to figure out what was that part, okay? But Okay, so let me help you with that. They cut mm-hmm. they cut out the part see he's talking about marriage. There's a whole that's the whole uh it's saying that it's not saying that they shouldn't get married. It's saying they shouldn't marry a wife. Okay, because they don't have no you know, no sexual mm-hmm. desire. Okay. You know, and see, right. they well, cut it you... out when they transferred it from that uh from what, the Greek Bible, what I gotta say Greek Bible they cut that stuff mm-hmm. out. Right. Okay, we have Mario on the line with us, but I want to go ahead and I want to ask something that you know. I'm going to put Mario on hold. Press your radio now. All right, cool. I want to address something that Deborah said. So, Mario, when you want to come online, just press the one and I'll pull you into the conversation. Um, all right, so let's go back since we're talking about the Bible here. All right, so, you know, you're talking about the eunuchs and what was happening. Remember Bal, B-A-A-L? L, I'm sorry, B-A-A-L, Baal, that was like the, the other god. And, you know, so they had the different types of, um, you know, gods that they served or what have you. And so basically you had the church of Baal, if you will. What would happen is they had male prostitutes in those churches, and most of those male prostitutes were eunuchs. And so basically the men, you know, from the community will go into those churches and pay, and pay to have sex with the eunuchs. So I'm hoping that's kind of connecting some dots for you to give you, you know, something to go and research. But go and research bow, eunuchs, homosexuality. Okay? So that should help you a little bit with that. All right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, we have to study, you know, the Bible and understand it because, you know, they will challenge us on some of this. But then, you know, we know quite a bit more about theology and the Bible than many of them, which kind of confuses and upsets them. But, you know, that's okay. But, you know, I'm glad that people are questioning and people are investigating and finding out um, next week on a show I'm going to continue with the Bible series, and we're going to be talking about Exodus. Moses, Exodus, Joshua, I'm not sorry, not Joshua, Joseph, and the African-American experience and why so many African-Americans feel as though we are having, you know, an Exodus type of experience in this country. And, you know, talking about Barack Obama being our you know, and Martin Luther King. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that, you know, next week. And after that, the Sunday after that, we'll be talking about policing 
name of the show will be Shame, Shame, Shame. And I was going to primarily focus it on, you know, body image policing. But we're going to talk about tone policing. We're going to talk about a number of things. So it's just going to be about policing in general. And, you know, we have a number of excellent shows coming up, um, putting together, you know, my schedule. And so, you know, we're going to be talking about many, many things. I want to do a show on Afrofuturism, but I need to do a little bit more um, studying up on that. But, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with Afrofuturism, you know, there's a book called Dark Matter. You can read that. You know, um, Janelle Monet. her music is Afrofuturism, you know, sci-fi, that type of thing. And let me see if Mario is ready, because I know Mario is really into this type of thing. Are you there, Mario? All right. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so I want to show on Afrofuturism. And I said, I know you'll have a really good time with that show, because that's something that I know you're definitely into. You know, so that should be a lot of fun, sci-fi. And there are quite a few of us into sci-fi. We don't have enough sci-fi writers in the community. We have no, we um, some sci-fi and horror writers. You know, James Rathwhite is one, Octavia Butler. We have a number of people. Like I said, pick up Dark Matter, um, one and two, and you'll get a better understanding. But, you know, again, you know, this is the third and final installment of the Politics of the God Concept I would, you know, strongly advise you guys to get this book, African-American Atheism, Political Liberation, A Study of the Sociocultural Dynamics of Faith by Michael Lackey, L-A-C-K-E-Y, Michael Lackey. This book is phenomenal, guys, absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, if you read that in conjunction with Dr. Hutchinson's book, you know, Moral Combat and Godless Americana, you would have a better understanding of what's happening out here and the reasonings why some of these things have been put in place and the reasoning why, you know, religion is used as a weapon against people and a stronghold, if you will. And it's okay to critique. It's okay to challenge. We want you to question everything. You know, not only when it comes to religion, but everything in your life, everything that you're dealing with, everything is subject to question. And, you know, you need to understand that and apply that to every area of your life. And that's why we encourage you to research and find out these things on your own. But this was a very good series. I'm, you know, very happy with how we laid this out. You know, I couldn't tell you guys everything in the book because I want you to buy it, but I think I've given you enough information about it. Um, You know, again, I'll give you a quote from James Baldwin from his book, The Fire the Next Time. If the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we get rid of him. That's right. Yep. That's right. So, you know, I guess my question to you guys is, you know, and this is to everybody, those of you that have, you know, left religion and now consider yourself secularists, do you believe you become a more caring, understanding, compassionate person? Nope. I I, I think that I always was, and I think that uh, that was a big part of my natural empathy 
was a big part of me recognizing that there was no hell and that the idea of a hell was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I never was a, a big afraid of the devil type, you know, religious person, and I think that that was my natural empathy. You know that I, I naturally thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If a baby didn't find out about God, then the baby's going to hell. I, I, I'm not believing that. Exactly. I, I think I kind of. Go ahead, Mario. Go ahead, honey. I think I kind of did. Um, I've always, always kind of been a, a very caring person too, but I, maybe this is pure coincidence that um, my uh, full uh, full release from religion came around the same time as. The uh, um, the advent of social media and stuff like that. I mean, I was always very easygoing, very tolerant, very accepting of other people anyway. But uh, you know, being um, around so many different people through MySpace and Facebook and stuff like that really brought into light. Like I've met so many people of the LGBT community that I didn't know, and I had a chance to get personal knowledge of these people versus hearing what people around the way are saying or reading the Bible and stuff like that. And I got to see, I stopped seeing them as just, you know, I, I never looked down upon them, but I did not know them as anything other than, like, well, like we kind of do the same thing when we talk about midgets or something like that in a movie or something. We look at them as, like, this kind of, this element and not just a person. And so it kind of really taught me, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, especially in most of the black movies you see, the gay character is not is not really a fully developed character. He's only there for either comic relief or to be killed or something like that. So that was that was that was that. And um and finally, um, women. I mean I've learned so many things about even my own treatment of women, even though you know, I've always been against a lot of harsh elements, especially abuse and domestic abuse and stuff like that, but just being around, I mean, on, on social media and seeing so many things that I didn't really know or understand about my own um, involuntarily ingrained uh, um, uh, misogyny, you know, really taught me a lot. So, excellent, excellent, Raina. Hey guys, um, no, I I think I'm with Travis. I think part of why I ended up coming out of religion had a lot to do with the fact that I was pretty pretty sensitive to other people's, you know, problems and pretty empathetic myself already. Um but mm-hmm. I think that I think that um over time I have become much more empathetic um to people. Um I, I mean I think I think you I think you probably can testify to that. <laughs> but um <laughs> but um but yeah I mean it's a it's a process. You know, but exactly. I think over the years I've become over the last two years I've become more empathetic to theists and to believers, and recognizing right. that they're just kind of tricked and they're just kind of stuck, and then kind of looking back and recognizing that I had no idea when I was where they are, and so uh-huh. I have to have a little bit more compassion towards them, knowing that they're right. just stuck too. You know, and that um, that, that you don't know that there's no devil or no hell until you uh, until you know that. I mean, you're just stuck on the exactly. you're stuck in silliness, and it ain't your mm-hmm. fault because somebody told you something was true before you could, you know, check for yourself. Exactly. And Deborah, what about yourself? 
Well, you know, you might as well say I was born in a church, right? Yes, so, ma'am. I, I guess if, if it was the church that turned me on to not believing in it because they couldn't ask my questions and I was getting all these. I even had a preacher to ball up his fist at me, you know. So okay. uh, I, 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 I'm better because that's like a lift off my head. When you ain't got to deal with church and doing and and they telling you this and and they'll tell you you ain't got enough sense to understand God. I told them I said, "Oh, you do." Anyway, but you know, um, I, I I noticed that since I've been like this, I got more compassion because you do have people who will make my life look like a circus uh, go round because uh, they don't been through a lot. Okay, right. so I'm trying. I'm trying to be softer with my words, and I'm trying to like make baby steps into them learning. I want them to just not just read the Bible, but do your own research. Don't go by what that preacher say, you know, and see what stuff makes yeah. sense to you in that bad boy. That's all I want. You know, I want you. I'm not saying that you know you don't have. To, if you want to believe, go ahead, believe in God. My problem with that. You're trying to take over my life. You're uh-huh. trying to control the whole uh, 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 world with what you believe. And that pisses me right. off. You yeah, so yeah, I'm, no. I, I'm like that. That's what I'm like. There you go. Um, for me, you know, I, I feel as though, you know, it's been a roller coaster for me. And I've definitely become more compassionate and understanding. Um, towards believers, and, you know, well, when I left church this very last time, I was pretty angry. I was angry for a number of reasons, angry because I had to suck back in because I was a non-believer, and some of my religious friends kind of sucked me into the church, and I wasn't necessarily angry at them. I was angry at myself because I knew better, but yet I went along, you know, again, peer pressure, social pressure, and it was a waste of time, money, energy, you know, and resources. And basically, you know, when I left the last time, you know, there was some they could answer my question to justify a lot of their actions. I was questioning some of the people in the church and how, you know, they react to certain situations. And, you know, once I got over that initial anger and disappointment and bitterness, then I began to do more study, which is why I'm encouraging people you know, to study and research on their own. And I've become quite a bit more compassionate towards, you know, believers. And, you know, I've gotten a little harder towards non-believers and only in the that for many of the non-believers in this community, they point the fingers at believers. It's like they've forgotten when they were once believers, and I, I think that's wrong. But, um, you know, we're getting better. We're doing better. We're still in our infancy, and we still have a lot of room to grow and to learn. So, you know, we're making some major steps. You know, we're moving forward. But, you know, you were human. At the end of the day, we make mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake, you know, just try to learn from it. It's okay not to know something. You know, if you don't know the answers, just say, I don't know. 
there's no shame in that. There's no shame in not knowing something. There's no shame in asking for help, you know. There's no shame in any of that. And that's, you know, some of the God concept that I feel that we absolutely need to address, whereas some people feel as though they can never be wrong. Some people feel as though, you know, they are supposed to have all the answers, that they're supposed to be all things to all people per the scripture. And that's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. And that's why I say, you know, we rely upon each other for a number of different reasons. But we just have to kind of go at this, you know, a different way and, you know, deal with this in a much, much different way than what we've been doing in the past. But overall, we've been doing pretty good. We've come a long way, and we still have a long way to go. But this community has matured quite a bit, and, you know, I'm really proud of the progress that we've made. So even though I kind of hard on, you know, the secular community sometimes, overall it has not been bad. And, you know, I've met a lot of beautiful people, and especially my colleagues. You know, you know I thank each and every last one of you guys because you've been absolutely beautiful, you know, the people that have called into the show, the people that support the show, you know, the people that support me personally, you know, thank you. You know, I don't, you know, I, there's nothing more than I can say than that. But, you know, I'm grateful to have met, you know, a lot of beautiful people and the people that have allowed me in their lives and I've allowed them in mine. So, you know, grateful for a lot of what's been happening, what's to come. That's why, you know, I'm telling you guys, keep your eyes out. You know, a lot of things that we're planning, that we're trying to bring into being, and, you know, we need your support. So I'm just letting you guys know now, you know, a couple of the projects, you know, we're going to be putting information out there, and we're going to need some donations to make sure some of this can come about. So, you know, we don't want you guys, you know, um, be caught off guard, but, you know, we're going to be selling some products. We're going to need some donations in order to pull some of this off. And, you know, we need to band together as a community. So, you know, just keep your eye open. You know, it's exciting, a lot of exciting things happening. But there are a lot of people in this community, in the secular community, that are doing good. You know, you have Foundation Beyond Belief. You have Recovering from Religion. You have a black skeptics group out of Los Angeles with the scholarship program. This year was the first year, you know, they released the pictures and the press releases. and It was a beautiful ceremony. And so, you know, you even have, um, bam, Black Atheists of America with their science cubes going into the classrooms. And so, you know, you have a lot of different groups out here that are actually producing. Those are the people that you want to support the people that are actually producing something that's helping the community, that's helping other people. It's, it's important. And in order for us to move forward, we're going to have to kind of step out there. And while we understand not everybody can step out there, not everybody can be out, trust me, I understand, but there are those of us that are out, and we're putting our necks out here, and we're putting a lot on the line. So we just want you to understand that, you know, uh, we need your support. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to, you know, leave a note for somebody, whether you inbox them on Facebook or send them a note through email. Just, you know, just tell them they're doing a good job. Tell them that, you know, you appreciate them. You know, they'd love to hear from you. You know, there are a number of people out here. 
and, you know, they're here to support you. You know, you're learning from them. You know, you're receiving from them. You know, just let them know they're doing a good job because sometimes you feel like you're not appreciated. And sometimes you feel you like nobody's right. right. Mm-hmm. You're right about that because just one little message you get during the week, you know, I'll get a message like, uh, hey, man, uh, I can't click on your thing. I like it because people from my work or family are looking, but keep doing what you're doing. That right there, that'll pump me up enough, you know, willing to post a couple other things, you know, and and, um, and stay strong, you know, for uh, for those that can't speak out for themselves. I mean, that's what Ingersoll says. Hey, look, if you're in a situation where you could get banned for your family for telling your, you know, the truth, then let us do it. You know, let the black That's free right. thinkers and 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 um and our little uh, family of uh, of thinkers and 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 and, yeah. uh, and activists and and people who are willing to uh, you know put themselves in front of uh, yeah. of, a, of a movement and you know you know in place of those who can't do it themselves but feel the way we feel but just don't aren't in the position to uh, right. to be. Uh, you know, courage field. It's just really that's difficult right. for them. Well, and, you know, if you're going to take a chance on um, not being able to eat or not being able to feed your kids, let us t- let us do it. They can't mess with me. Well, that's, that's right. You know, my, my family's on Facebook, and they, I'm going to tell you something. Once in a blue moon, they might put a like on my page, uh, but they haven't, like, dissed me. And uh, the point is, I don't care. See, I've been like this for so long. They already know who I is, you know. I don't care. And uh, my sons both go to church. See, I raise you be an individual, you know, do your thing, you know, learn learn what you need. To, I, they know what I'm saying. They read what I'm saying. If they don't get it, that's on them. I don't did my part, you see. That's right. You know, right. on this. the way I see it, if you believe in God, He don't want you stupid. And if yeah, you right. Ingersoll said, uh, he said, uh, if if God didn't want me to think, then why did He give me a thinker? That's right. Exactly, exactly, and you know you what that God is going to be. That's right. He knew, you know, he, so you know, if, you, if you're talking about a God, He knew. He's supposed to have known if he's supposed to have all that power. He knew that they was going to change them books, do what they wanted to do, get money. He knew that. If that's the way, if you claim you, you love God. <laughs> it's, it's true. Hey, uh, I saw um, a thing. It was called the exoneration of Jesus Christ, and it starts out, it's Ingersoll, and he says, <clears throat> If Christ was, in fact, God, he knew all the future. And then he just goes on. He knew that thousands of men under the orders of priests would be building prisons for his fellow men. He knew, mm-hmm. that, you know, he knew that the name of that um, he didn't knew that that they would do all these horrible things in his name, right? Mm-hmm. And then he yeah. said, why did he dumbly, why did he go dumbly to his death, leaving this world in misery and, and doubt? I will tell you why. He was a man, and he did not know. <laughs> it's so cold. It's so cold. Because he didn't know. That's why. Because he didn't know. He didn't know. It's so simple. Exactly. Exactly. And this is why, you know, we're encouraging people, you know, reach out to us. Reach out to us. Like I said, you know, it's a number of people. You have a lot of different, you know, um, 
people in this community that are out here that are speaking. And, you know, again, when you can't speak, we'll speak for you. We do this. And, you know, and we're not going to always agree on everything. And we understand that. But that's where this conversation, where this dialogue comes in. This is how we teach one another. This is how you learn. And it's okay. You know, I've come back and corrected myself on many occasions. It's like, oh, well, wait a minute. Let me clear this up. But, you know, we're here. We're here for you. We're out here for you. We're, we're out here trying to make, you know, life better for, you know, us collectively us collectively, and, you know, it's time for us to start pushing forward a little bit more, and, you know, for those that are out here, you know, on the front lines, you know, I appreciate each and every last one of you, and I wish you all the very best, because this is not an easy road. This has not been, you know, a cakewalk, if you will. So, you know, again, you know, uh, some projects are coming up. You'll be hearing more about them within the next two, three weeks, actually. And so, you know, just be, you know, vigilant. You know, we're going to post about it, you know, pretty soon. We're just finalizing some, you know, information. But on that note, you know, it was a privilege and an honor to bring forth this three-part series to you guys, um, talking about the politics of the God concept. Um, Go back and listen to the other two episodes in the archives. Again, we have you know, well over 150 shows in the archives. We have Raina with the RSS feed. We have Em and Evil, which is the Mario and Emily show. We have Alfred and Carl. We have MC Brooks with the Breakbeat, which will be coming on this week. And so Em and Evil, they will be interviewing Jen Taylor from Philadelphia. So I believe she's like 18 of Philadelphia. So, guys, that should be, you know, a very good conversation. Um, let's see here, RSS Feed, M and Evil, we have Alfred and Carl, we have The Breakbeat, we have On Blast with Vita Star. Uh, we had a, sh- a show called The Barbershop. We have some of those episodes in the background. For those of you out there, make sure you shout out and support Father Teresa, um, also part of yep. the Black Freethinkers family, and we support him and we encourage him. Great guy, great guy. And so, you know, guys, you know, we appreciate you. And my colleagues, I want you all to know how much I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, These people, you know, volunteer their time, you know, to do these shows, and it brings forth information. And, you know, they want to be a part of this network. So for that, I am truly humbled because, you know, um, the fact that they wanted to work with me, and I appreciate you guys, and I love each and every last one of you. And the people that have been listening to the show you know, to the archives, thank you. Thank you. You just don't know how much I appreciate what you've given to me. So, you know, on that note, we're out of here. We're going to go ahead and play the theme music. But, you know, again, much appreciated. You know, not enough words to, you know, let you guys know how much, you know, you mean to me. Okay. Thank and thank you, Travis. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Kim. You're here. You all have Black a lovely thinkers. weekend now. Yes, and funny to the moon. <laughs> funny to the moon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>